It's the Bible Rundown, day 183. Rob, today we're looking at Job 22 through 24 in Acts 11. So Eliphaz is back on the scene. And, and just so people know, because they may be feeling like it's starting to drag too. Rob, before we podcast, said Job is getting a little old. And it, it does seem that way, right? Circular arguments. There's nothing new under the sun. Where are we going with this? Can we just resolve yes. everything? But it is important. And today, Rob, I've got an opening question for All you, right. and we can wrestle through it. It's good, because I prepared for Job 25 through 27, so it's good your question is intense, because I didn't even prepare the right chapters. So now we're going to hear it on the fly. Shoot it. So he opens up chapter 22. Eliphaz says to Job, can a man be profitable to God? Rob, mm. can we offer anything to God of value? Are we of any profit to him? That's a good question. I mean, that's that's a that's a not an easy question to answer. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think I think he views us as um, valuable because we are created in the image of God. I don't know that profitable is the word I would use, but we are valuable. He wants all men to be saved. So I'm not sure if that's the answer you're looking for, but that's what I that that would that would be my first thoughts. Yeah. What what, what would you say? Is is man profitable? Yeah. So I think number one, God created man in His own image, not to make God more profitable, right? He was satisfied fully in himself. He didn't right. need to create anything. No. But, God, but to sure. bring joy and pleasure through his creation, he does it, right? And so, yeah, our lives do matter. It's not that we bring something to God that he has need of, mm-hmm. but his, his glory is magnified when his creation reflects his righteousness in the way that he intended, right? So I think Eliphaz is, again, pulling a string that it's somewhat true, but the conclusion logically takes us way off base, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that we take that since God doesn't have need or want, then we really are kind of meaningless in what we offer, but that's not why God calls us to be holy as he's holy, right? He wants us to reflect this principle that your best good, Rob, and my best good is himself. Mm -hmm. So your righteousness matters to the Lord because he knows it's your highest pleasure and joy in life. And as a result, he gets glory through that. So it's the same. We we sometimes talk about the relationship with... uh, parents and children because we ourselves are going through some the early parenting years but we don't gain anything by our children obeying us right and respecting us and doing what we ask but we do take pleasure and joy knowing that our child sees us and what we ask them to do is something that's going to benefit them and so they do it 
right? Mm -hmm. And so it brings mutual pleasure that we get to experience in that relationship. I think Eliphaz is, is strongly missing that with the Lord. Right. Like, you don't, God is not asking you to obey and be righteous so that you avoid his, his punishment. He's asking you to, to be holy, to be righteous, and to, to love him because he knows that that will result in your greatest joy and will bring him the greatest glory. Yeah. But then, you, go ahead. You have something else you want to add? Well, I just think in 23, the question of where is the Lord, uh, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat, verse 3. I think that's a question that many of us ask in our life. Hmm. Where is the Lord in this situation? Where is God? I want to, I want to talk to the Lord. I want to understand what's going on. Where is he? He should be here, but he feels very distant to me. Where is he? And I think that's a question that uh, the Job is asking, and many after Job will ask, and that the gospel is the answer, right? Like mm -hmm. so many years of of failure and and looking forward to the redemption and the forgiveness of sins through Christ that when he comes, we can't say that now. Where is the Lord? I mean, we can say that in our own circumstances, in our own issues, in our own struggles, but we ought to say Christ was here. Mm -hmm. C-W-H, David. Christ was here. I mean, that, that's a good, good one-liner. We should use that. Christ was here. Therefore, live live for the glory of God. Like, not what would Jesus do? Christ was here. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those things, too. I think when you get towards the end of chapter 24, what Jesus exposed is that even though he was here in the flesh, right? God, in his glory, becoming man, we were so spiritually blind and addicted to darkness that we refused to come to the light. So John 3 John's gospel gives these contrasts between light and darkness, right? Yeah. And though the light of the world came into the world, men loved the darkness, and so they rejected the light. And I see that, especially in this illustration of verse 13, chapter 24, when he's talking about those who rebel against the light, they're not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its paths. And so he specifically talks about the murderer, right, who rises before its light to take advantage of people in the dark. But then he talks about the adulterer. And I, I have this saying that I've heard, nothing good happens after midnight, right? right? But we read in the Proverbs that for a lot of us, when we seek out sin, we do it in the literal dark. So we, mm -hmm. we think we're not seen. But everything is seen before God, right? And, and I think that that's this idea that he's getting at. Um, we are so spiritually depraved Right, we're so yeah. sinful that we think that darkness is basically like morning to us, right? Right. That we can get away with things, but that that becomes our motivation, and so sin is really loving the hidden things, where God has made known His wisdom. Romans one reminds us that mankind's rejected His wisdom, even though it was plainly seen. Right. Right. And uh, for us, 
the, the danger for many of us is what are we doing in the dark that we're unwilling to have brought to the light? Yeah. And those ultimately may be the things that undo our life. No, that's good. In light and darkness, right, you go all the way back to creation, and uh, that's the first step. The, the Lord said, you know, let there be light, and the light shone in the darkness. And so the idea of, uh, even, even in John chapter 1, uh, the light coming the light coming down and so the idea is God shining forth his light into the world and uh, <clears throat> and so we want to be light and be in the light we want to walk with the light we want to have the light to guide us in the proper places not walk around in darkness or chaos see that that's another word that I think is less used for darkness, but it's chaos. It's not organized. It's not true. It's false. It's, it's, it's this chaos. Yeah, and the Bible uses darkness, and it uses the sea to represent the chaos of sin, right? right, right. Jonah's thrown into a raging sea, right? Like, it's God's ways of, of showing chaos, disorder. I really liked the last thought on Job today before we go to Acts. Uh, chapter 23, verses 10 through 12. Speaking of God, he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. So Rob, how do we find hope in the midst of suffering? How do we have this kind of like <coughs> Job hope? that we can, yeah. we can make these statements about our life when we go through difficult times. Well, I think, uh, I think he clings to the truth of who God is and his word. And I think, you know, all of these statements Job keeps making, my redeemer lives, you know, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Uh, the, the, this, this, you know, my foot has held fast. I've kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth. You know, so he is his steadfast faith. I think that's the key in suffering is the steadfast faith. Um, and that's what, you know, that's that's exactly what the Bible tells us is in James. is It's producing in us a steadfastness of faith. The, the trial and the suffering, um, you know, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because that trial is producing a steadfastness of faith in your yeah. life. So, steadfast faith, my friends, in the trial, knowing that your God is with you mm -hmm. amidst the trial. Mm -hmm. And we'll see that here at the end, even if he feels like he's silent. And you, I, last thing, I was just going to heap praise on you before we go to Acts 11. You're good about that when I've watched you counsel other people. You have this saying with a lot of people that you've counseled, regardless of what they're coming out of and where you're trying to lead them, you kind of have this way of saying, you know what you need? And I'll just insert myself in it. You know what you need, David? You know what we need to get you? We need to get your, your mind and your heart filtered and aligned with the Word of God. Right? Yeah. Like, no matter what somebody's going through, if it's the most frivolous type thing in their life they're struggling with or something really significant... 
like to Job's point, you steer people back to, we could counsel you with, with wisdom, but you got to go back to the truth of his word and right. get your thoughts right, right about who God is, who you are, and who Christ is. So Because without that, nothing matters. So shameless plug, if you're ever going to meet with Rob, that's one thing he's going to throw out at you. So get in the word. Hey, Acts 11. Acts 11. Let's do that. So Peter goes back to the church, right? They can't send an email mm-hmm. or, you know, video conference via Zoom and be like, hey, look what's happening. They have to go back and report about these things. And so he goes and he recounts his vision and is telling all these believers of what the Lord is doing. And they have their conclusion. They have their, their little their little meeting here. So the, the Jerusalem Council. The the gospel's going to the Gentiles and then their council meeting. They agree that yeah, like who are we? I love this line, right? Who was I that I thought I could stand in God's way? Yeah. And they fall silent. Man, we need the, the evidence of the Spirit in our church, don't we? I mean, the, yeah. the counsel of when we're trying to decide through things, where is the Spirit of God already working? Let's go there. Right. And the circumcision party is coming at Peter going, man, you eat with Gentiles. What are you doing? Peter's going, man, Christ came to save Gentiles, bro. Who am I to say that he didn't? Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, the church in Antioch. That's why the Great Commission is such a influential piece, right, to all of this is because, you know, make disciples of all nations, meaning the Gentiles, mm-hmm. not just Jews. And he had to he had to specifically say that because they would have they would have just really tried to reach their own people with this gospel. Amen. And and you've got the Great Commission that's gonna get accelerated through the ministry of Saul and Barnabas, right? Mm -hmm. And so they bring him to Antioch and they meet there for a year. And uh, Antioch, Rob, interestingly, was the first place where they were called Christians. Huh. So I guess it stuck. Yeah. Well, and, and Antioch will be a sending church. They will be the ones who will send Paul to the nations. So Antioch is a big time place. Um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, so Cyprus, Cyrene, uh, and we'll see later that the leaders in Antioch are a diverse people. They're diverse in skin color and culture and in all things. It's a diverse church and with the spirit of the living God rests, which they bring Saul into this church, Paul, who will then go to the nations. So it's such an interesting dynamic here. Barnabas and Saul, you know, Barnabas was uh, an encourager. He's, he's the guy that always looks for the good in someone, and he is the one who will bring about Saul in the ministry in which he will become Paul and be the, the one who writes most of the, the back half of the New Testament. And sending or two marks of the church of what they send that's significant, right? So Antioch not only sends Barnabas and Saul for the advancement of the gospel, but at the end, Agabus foretells by the Spirit 
that there was going to be a famine. And so they raised money to send back to the church in Judea. So the early church understood that there was a mission to complete of going, but there's also this care for one another. Right. And it's something that we ought to be mindful of at this church rather than feeling like we have to be competitive with brothers and sisters that are around us. Right. We ought to look out for the needs of churches that are having struggles. And and needs not necessarily that they've created of their own problems, right? So if a church is like, hey, we need money, but it's because we've overspent on a on a building project, right? Right. That may not be the best thing. But if there's clear evidence that some physical need could be met by resources we have, who are we to withhold? Right? Right. So you start to see the Acts two principle now applying to the network of churches that geographically are getting spread out. Sure. And so do we look out for the goals and interests of the large body of Christ, not just what's happening in our own walls? Amen. Any other thoughts? No thoughts. We'll see you next time. It's the Bible Rundown.